You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. That's your book, yeah. That's my book too. That and Romans, that's, those are my two books. Yes. You, can, you can borrow them whenever you want, but they're mine. Yes. Um, Ephesians chapter 3. I want to talk this morning about grace. I want to talk, this, why do I talk so much about grace? Because it's unsearchable. It's kind of hard to get your head around it. It's, we make little cliche sayings that it's God's riches at Christ's expense, but really that's like putting it in a little bitty box that's super small. It's way, way bigger than that. So I want to talk a little bit about grace, but specifically this morning, I want to talk about it a little different. I, want to, I actually titled this called Grace Stations, kind of like gas stations. But there are, I have found in Scripture, there are grace stations. That grace is not something to be held out there as some kind of ethereal, nebulous thing that we can't get a hold of. You know, we talk about it, and it sounds so wonderful, and we all want it in our lives, but at some point, we start asking the question, how do I get it? How do, how do I access this thing called grace? When does it start to manifest in my own life? So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. So Ephesians chapter 3, you can go there, put your finger in it, hold it for a minute. Um, but grace, even though it's defined as multiple different things, I, at this season in life, I'm defining it like this. Grace is Christ in me. That's how I'm defining it right now. Ask me next month, it may be defined a little different. Right now, it's defined as grace is Christ in me in me. He is the fullness of grace and truth, and I am absolutely sold on this fact, if you haven't heard me talk about it before, that you can't, you can't get away from him. He's all over you, like that black preacher used to say, he's in my heart, he's in my hands, I can't get him off of my skin. That's grace, that's what grace is to me right now. Grace by definition, the word charis means gift. That's really what it means. It means gift. And so we're going to talk about this gift of grace that has been given to us, but I want to talk about it in such a way that we know how we can access it. The presence of the Lord, I love it when when grace comes on you, because has anybody ever been, have you ever had this happen where you feel that kind of grace come on you for a certain task, something that's in front of you, and all of a sudden what you were dreading and fearing, it just goes like with ease? Or you're facing something that's a real deep challenge in your life, but then grace comes on you, and it's like, wow, that wasn't anything like I, I thought. I don't know how it looks for you. In my mind, this is how it looks. It's Christ in me. And so when I'm facing something incredibly difficult, and I go ahead and step into it by faith and find that it wasn't that difficult, it's like God shows up and does a, does a Chuck Norris on my enemies, which is the devil, and then he turns around and he looks at me and goes, you are awesome. As if I did that. But it is Christ in me. Is this making sense? It's Christ in me. That's grace to me. It's like all I need is a little faith to step out and believe that he's there, that he's always there, because he never leaves us, right? Come on, that's good news right there. We need to keep pounding that one into the church. He never, ever, ever leaves us. Church, he never leaves you in the middle of your sin. This is a real good help for me. I don't know about you guys. I say this, but this is a good help for me. He's there right in the middle of our sin. Right smack dab in the middle of it. Now just picture for a moment the things you don't want to picture. When you're in the middle of something you know you're not supposed to be doing, you're saying something you shouldn't be saying. Just picture Jesus right there. 
Now, unfortunately, a lot of us have a picture of Jesus, like going, oh, God. No, can't have anything to do with that. No, he's actually right there the entire time. He's going, well, you know, I've got something a little better for you. Just look to me. Look to me. I'm right here. Is this making sense? He never leaves. We have this notion of sin that somehow it's so powerful that Jesus has to run away from it. And he doesn't. Are you guys with me here this morning? Yes. He doesn't have to run away from it. Everything I learn in Scripture is about Jesus and sin actually coming together and sin being eradicated. So grace for me is carrying this Christ in me. And I just remind myself of it and go, okay, he's in me. He's in me. Anything difficult I'm facing, I have to remember he's in me. And if I just step out in faith, then I'm going to discover that he's going to do all the fighting and then he's going to turn around and look at me and tell me I'm awesome. Come on, is that good for you guys? That's just what he does. (laughs) Here, Here it is. Psalm 23. We think that grace and God and the presence of God and how he saves us is he takes us away from all the trouble. I don't believe that's what he does. Anybody find any trouble? After you said yes to Jesus, did all the trouble go away? No? That makes more sense when you read Psalm 23 where it says, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. This is grace. He comes on the scene and he's like, you know what? I know you're going through this really difficult time. I know the demonic and everything's like trying to talk in your ears and tell you certain things like Mindy was saying, telling you certain things that aren't true. I know that he does the, this. He comes and he does this all the time, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit you down right here with this banquet, right in the middle of all this demonic stuff that's happening, and we're going to share life together. You and I, we're going to eat. We're going to enjoy. Come on, is this good news? This is who he is. It's not, it's not the separate, oh, this is my life over here, and I'm just waiting for Jesus to show up. He's always, always, always present with us. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, I believe what Jesus wants to do is he wants to rub it in the face of the demonic. That's what he wants to do. He just wants to say, you know, remember this thing that I did? Made a public spectacle of you? Yeah. This is what you do. This is my kid right here. You're not going to do this to my kid. Come on, that was a good one right there. You're not going to do this to my kid. I'm going to sit down with them and have a meal that is absolutely off the charts, five-star kind of meal, off the charts kind of meal. The challenge for us is we'll say, okay, I'll sit down at the table, but then I'll keep looking and going, what's going on over there, what's going on over there, when really it's right there in the face, looking at his face. Grace has been defined as unmerited favor, which is absolutely true. It's unmerited favor. You can't do anything to get that kind of favor. But here he comes, and he says, no, I'm going to pour it out on you anyway. Hold your hands out and say, God, I'll take grace. I'll take grace. I didn't earn it, but I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah, right? Just start doing that in your meditating times. Just say, God, I'll take grace. uh, If it's unmerited favor, then I don't have to do anything to earn it. Just give it to me. Does that sound a little arrogant? No. I don't think it should, not as children who really understand who we are. Yeah. Grace empowers you for the opportunity in front of you but it also opens the door of opportunity. Come on, think about this for a minute. It's like it opens up the door for you, then it runs over to you and it says, now I'm giving you everything you need to go through the door. Come on, this is good, right? This is all-encompassing kind of stuff here. You can't, it's not like you get grace and. It's not grace and just a little bit more. It's all the grace of God. We're going to discover this as we go through this, but it's all the grace of God. Grace means you 
It's the face of the Lord looking at you and never looking away. That feels good. It's the face of the Lord looking at you. He's staring at you and he never looks away. Grace is like, I like to look at it like fuel. It's like fuel. How many of you guys know what happens when you put really bad gas in your car? Right? You hear that, that sound, that knocking, pinging sound, but then you put good gas in it, right, and it starts to, it actually likes it. It's, the, it's kind of the same thing with us. We can get our soul fueled up on something that will propel us down the ro- road, but it's not grace. It's something else. And so we'll, we'll be able to move down the road because something filled my soul up and I feel like I've got a little power to move. But this kind of grace is the kind of grace that moves us effortlessly. And there's no knocking and pinging going on. My car demands I put like the super unleaded in it. If I put the other stuff in it, I think it talks to me. It, it does. It's like, don't do that. Don't do that anymore. Don't do that. I go to step on the gas and it goes, you want what? It just doesn't work. So I'm thinking about all this stuff that's happening in my life, and I'm going, wait, I need the grace of God. This is like my life. I can't put cheap gas in it and expect that it's going to move me down the road. I can't expect that it's going to make me healthy, right? I mean, the analogy can go deep. You can put bad food in your body, and it'll, it'll give you some kind of energy for a little while, but it isn't going to sustain you, right? And your body's ultimately going to go, you, you ever had that happen before? I've gone through phases, because I still do that, where I try to get really healthy, and other times where I'm like, ah, then I go, then I, and Krispy Kreme, that light just keeps coming on. It's like, hot donuts now. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? You know what I'm saying. But you go through that phase, and when you start eating healthy, when you really start eating healthy and changing the way you live and, and your diet and stuff, when you put bad food in your body, your body starts to talk to you. And it'll say, mm-mm, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. But you know what? I think sometimes our soul is the same way. We try to satisfy it with something else. We'll try to satisfy it with friendships that aren't healthy. We'll try to satisfy it with whatever. Think of whatever it is. I mean, you, you fill in the gap. All of addictions on the planet, sexual addictions, eating addictions, chemical addictions, all of them are the result of trying to get a legitimate need met in an illegitimate way. Every one of them. They all, they land different and they do different things to people, but every one of them is trying to find grace, but you're getting it in an illegitimate way. And it's counterfeit. Is this making sense this morning? It's like counterfeit grace. It's, it fuels you for a little while, but I'm talking about the kind of grace that fuels you, that propels you down the road, that's life-giving. The kind of grace that gets poured into you, gets pumped into you, and it turns you into a completely different person. I believe real grace, that grace of Christ in you, enables you to live like Jesus. Exactly like Jesus. Exactly like him. Jesus did some pretty cool stuff, didn't he? Dude walked on water. Dude dude became light. (laughs) He just starts shining, freaking everybody out. That sound like fun to you? Who wants that kind of grace? I want that kind of grace. That kind of grace that fuels you, that will, it enables you to live like Jesus, exactly like Jesus. I want to walk on water. I want to walk through walls. Wouldn't that be cool? I remember hearing a story from the youth pastor out at Bethel. He was telling the story about how his kids were starting to get this. They were starting to get this thing about the fullness of Jesus inside of them. And they're just like full of faith. They're trying everything. I mean, they're out at the beach. They go to the beach and they... They take off running. They're like, I'm going to walk on water. So they run towards the water, and they're like, and they didn't, they didn't walk on water, so they go out, and they try it again. 
And they start running, and nope, they sink, but they keep trying it. Well, he was in a meeting one time at the church. I think it was at the church, as he tells this story. And he's sitting there trying to have a conversation. He keeps hearing this, boom! <laughs> what is that? Keep having the conversation, boom! He'd hear it again. So he went around the corner to see what it was, and it was his youth just saying, I'm trying to walk through a wall. <laughs> boom! Walking into it. It was like, I got enough faith, I can do this. Boom! And they'd walk into a wall. I don't know. I don't know if it ever paid off, but you got to applaud that. I mean, come on. That's good stuff, right? This kind of grace that allows you to live exactly like Jesus. I'm not talking about being somebody who just has good morals and good character. That doesn't define Christianity. We do know that, right? We do. Good morals, good character. Those are wonderful things. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that doesn't define Christianity. If that defined Christianity, the Mormons are in a way better place than we are. Yeah. If I'm being honest, I'm just being honest. They're in a way better place than we are. They eat healthy. Their families stay together better, right? It's not about that, though. That doesn't define it. Those are attributes of living a spirit-filled life, but that's not defined by that. How do you know when you're living full of grace and full of the person of Jesus? Well, everywhere you go, the kingdom's right there. It's just like bursting at the seams. It's like people would look at you and go, what the heck? That's really cool. I don't know who you are, but that's awesome. I want to be close to this. I like this person right here. Who wants to be like that? In a healthy way, right? I told you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to actually talk about that. Ephesians chapter 3. Um, here is Paul. Really, the first three chapters are so dynamic. I'm going to just say this. Paul keeps talking about this mystery this mystery that's been revealed, this mystery that's been hidden from ages but is now being made known. Don't be scared of the word mystery. Don't be scared. It's wonderful. It's used almost 30 times in the New Testament. And every time, well, not every time, almost every time, by and large, probably 80, 90% of the time, the word mystery is the word musterion, which literally means not just mystery as something hidden and you can't know it, that's not the definition of that. Mysterion means it's something that has been hidden but has been brought into the light and we're discovering it. Think about when you speak in tongues. Corinthians talks about it. It says if a man speaks in tongues, he speaks mysterion to God. What's he speaking? He's speaking things he doesn't understand, but the more he does it, it's like his soul is lining up and now he starts to understand what's going on in a spiritual realm and he can't even put words to it. Come on, is this helpful? It helped me to know that that's what happens. When I pray in the Spirit, he says, Paul says, what's the conclusion then? When you get to all the end of this stuff, he goes, I'll pray in the Spirit and I'll sing in the Spirit. Because when I pray in the Spirit, a man edifies himself. Anybody in here need edification? Good. It's a good thing to do. Do you do that very often? I'm just saying, if you need a little encouragement, need a little edification, start praying in the Spirit. It's easy to do. You don't need anything. Just go. Run with it. Yeah, I'm stepping on some toes here, but it's okay. It's what I do. So here he is talking about this mystery, this mystery that's being unveiled, this thing that's being opened up to the church. And part of it is the mystery of what happened to him. We know the story of Paul. He's going around persecuting the church, killing people, right? Because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, trained under Gamaliel. The dude knew his business. If you needed to know anything about the law, anything at all, he was the guy. He just absolutely knew it. But here, this grace comes to him, 
and transforms him into a completely other person. Now, we know the story. I'm not going to go back and look at it, but he had a process of being three years in the wilderness learning from God, right? But this grace absolutely changed him in a moment. I know what that's like. Anybody ever experienced that kind of grace that changes your life in a moment? Yeah, I did. It changed my life in a moment. Set me free from 16 years of addiction in a moment. Absolutely in a second, it was done. Why? Because that's the kind of grace that he gives. That's the kind of spirit he gives us. Come on, that's a good word. So here we are, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to start with that. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Come on, a prisoner of Christ? I mean, who talks like that anymore? I'm a prisoner of Christ. In other words, Jesus, Jesus, you've captivated me to such a degree that I cannot get away from you. Even if I tried, I can't get away from you. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation or the stewardship of the grace of God, here we go, which was given to me for you. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, here it is, I have briefly written already, go back and read, Ephesians 1 and 2, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Oh, and by the way, this mystery is not some, oh, I can really go off right now because we are a charismatic Pentecostal church and we are the worst about this. We get all kooky, crazy with this stuff thinking that the mystery has to do with some deeper realms in the spirit. Let me just give you a little. The mystery is Jesus. It's Jesus. He encompasses everything. There's nothing outside of him, right? Colossians says he holds it all together, all things created by him, for him, through him, in him, and all things exist in him. The mystery is Jesus. Somebody wrote earlier this week, the mystery is like a treasure but the treasure and the key to find the treasure are the same thing. <laughs> Isn't that great? Come on, that messes with our minds a little bit. It's all the same. It's all one and the same. So here he is coming into this encounter with Jesus. And he says this, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it now has been revealed by the Spirit. Everybody say revealed by the Spirit. Revealed. To who? his holy apostles and prophets. Verse six is where I want to land here. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Verse eight, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look at this again, verse 6, going into verse 7. Partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. And the gospel is what? It's good news. It's good news. The gospel is good news. If we're preaching anything that is not good news, then it's no longer the gospel. Church, this is what makes the gospel so scandalous. We've tainted it. We've mixed it with a bunch of different things. We say, here's good news, but you need to do this. Now we've mixed it with something. Now it's no longer good news. It's a transaction. I can find a transaction anywhere in life. 
That's why Jesus talks about covenants, not contracts. Co- contracts are based on mistrust. Hello? We have realtors in the room here, right? Contracts are inherently based on mistrust. I don't trust you, so I'm going to hold you to this and write this down. And if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I'm not required to hold up mine. He doesn't talk like that. He talks in covenant. He comes along and he says, you know what? No matter what you do, I'm still going to hold up my end of the bargain. Come on, somebody say amen to that. That's covenant. That's completely different. So he says here that he became his, his promise in Christ through the gospel, the good news, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace that was given to me. In other words, I became a minister according to the gift of grace. It's the grace that works through me. It's not I became a minister because I thought it would be a good idea. I didn't become a minister because I knew something about this thing. I didn't come a, become a minister because I had studied. Hello? I became a minister because of this grace that is on my life. It's like a potter, he's saying, grace shaped me from an opposer of the gospel to a presenter of the gospel. That's what grace does. You talk about taking things from complete opposites into something that's destiny, that's calling, that's, oh, oh, that's good stuff. In other words, you always become so that you can do. You never do so that you can become. Always. You always become so that you can do. You never do that you can, so that you can become. That's, that's the church religion thing. If I do this enough, I will become this. Church, let's stop that. Stop that. I know I've said this before. I've had s- lots of people come to me because of my background will come to me and say, Andrew, how do you get out of that cycle? How do you get out of that cycle? I'm trying. I just try this. And I'm like, stop trying. Absolutely give up. Stop it. You know, when I ask the question, how's that working for you? You keep trying. I keep going to church. I keep going to Bible studies. Keep reading my Bible. And I keep doing these things. Well, stop. It's like this. You can go to a restaurant and you can look at the menu for hours. And you can talk about how, well, that, that looks good. They even got a picture. That looks really good. You can read the menu, read the menu. A lot of us in church, you know, in Christianity, we're guilty of doing the same thing. We come to Jesus and we read the menu, the Bible. And we read it and we read it and we read it and we read it. At some point, you've got to put it down and you've got to eat. Yeah. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This grace was given so that I could preach. You know, and I was thinking about this when I was writing this, that there's a, um, in, in the old covenant, the priest had to wear linen. They couldn't wear wool. There's a significant picture in that. I don't understand all of it, but I know a little bit of it. The reason why they had to wear linen and not wool is so they wouldn't sweat. Why is that God can't handle sweat? No, because he's not about man's effort to try to get at anything. That's the whole picture right there. He's about, it's not about man's efforts to try to get anything. Come on, church. You can't, try, you can't do anything to get the grace of God. He hands it to you. As a matter of fact, the only thing that will hinder you from taking in the grace of God is our own attempt to try to get it. It immediately negates it. Because he says this is unmerited favor. If you're trying to earn this, then why do you think Paul talks about it? If somebody's going to live by the law, you've got to live by the whole thing. That you, you can't do it, in other words. I love what Jesus does when he comes on the scene. We make a lot of doctrines out of things that Jesus says in the Gospels that are like, it's just so weird. It's like, why do we pick and choose these things, right? 
Unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, right? Oh, man, we take that and read it and go, man, we got to work pretty hard here. When he's saying, I'm talking about a different kind of righteousness that's going to come from me, you're never going to get this on your own. You read the Gospels, as much as anything else, what Jesus was doing was he was frustrating religion, trying to make it come to its end. I mean, we love to take things that Jesus says and put them into the New Testament church and say you need to live like this, but yet I don't see people going around cutting their arms off and gouging their eyes out. But didn't he say that? If it offends you, cut it off, right? If anything, it was about frustrating us in our own religious attempts to try to gain something that we can never gain on our own. The best way to receive grace is to sit down in your chair and just say, God, I'll take it. I'll take it. I need that kind of grace. I need that kind of grace that transforms me from the inside out. I need that kind of grace that turns me from a murderer to a preacher of the gospel. That kind of grace that can turn a person in an instant from that kind of murderer instigator to someone that can preach the gospel and get the word of God brought to us in such a deep way. It's like, what the heck? Even Paul himself says this grace is so, I'm paraphrasing, it's so big, it's so rich, I can't even begin to describe it to you. The only way you can catch it is by sitting with him saying, saturate me with this, saturate me with this. So I believe there are three places in the Bible that we can go to get this kind of fuel. The grace stations. Anybody know where the grace stations are? There's a few of them in scripture. I just found three of them. Here's one of them right here. Look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Beginning in verse 18. Here is Jesus quoting out of Isaiah 61. It's all a familiar passage. You've heard this before. But here he goes into the synagogue. He sits down and he begins to, he takes the scroll. He picks it up. And he starts to read out of it. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Can you imagine this? Just picture this if you would. I mean, we like to turn this into some, ooh, this is, no, picture this. Here's Jesus. He walks in the room, picks it up, and he starts reading this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now listen, then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now picture this moment, if you would. Just imagine this. You're sitting in the synagogue. Jesus reads this, but when he reads it, they know he's reading Isaiah 61. But as the words are coming out of his mouth, something's changing. It's not just Isaiah that's speaking. It says here, they were fixed on him. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine the audacity of that? Today, this scripture, hundreds of years they've been reading this. And he stands there and says, today, <laughs> right here in this package, it's fulfilled. Right here. So they all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious get it gracious words which were pro which proceeded out of his mouth and they said is this not joseph's son here's how grace can be so fleeting church you can hear the voice of god and then you can step into reason 
They heard it. They sat there. They marveled. They were moved by his gracious words, knowing that those were words that he, they've heard before, but this time, all of a sudden, he read it, and it came alive. And he says, it's me. And they're all just moved. They're like, wow, this is amazing. And then they started the reasoning. Wait a second. Isn't this Joseph's son? Wait, no, wait. Okay, this is the carpenter, right? You? You're saying, I don't know what that was. Something just happened right there, but wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense. You are a carpenter's son. This can't be. You see what I'm saying? This is how quickly grace can be fleeting from us where God can bring something to us we have the option to embrace it and say yes to God completely even though I don't understand it hello it says he is the God who has the peace that has peace beyond all understanding right that means we have to give up our right to understand in order to get it because it goes beyond understanding so if I want to try to understand peace and, I, and everything is contained and my level of acceptance of peace is only contained in what I understand, it's, my peace is only going to go so far. But it says he brings peace that goes beyond our understanding. But if I try to restrict it and say, I don't understand, I don't understand, I need to understand it, then that's where it stops right there. Come on, this is good, isn't it? We can reason things to death. We can move into our intellect and we can shut God down in the moment on what he's doing. He's not, (laughs) this is news, he's not subject to human analysis. Right? This makes me me happy because I read a lot of different theology books. I love theology, I love reading theology, but I also know when I read that he is not subject to that theology book. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how much I agree with it or disagree with it. He is not subject to human analysis. And that's all theology is, is the study of God. I can study him, but I can guarantee you this. I'm never going to understand him completely. Oh, that glorious day when I see him face to face, right? <laughs> it baffles me in the church. I talk to a lot of different people who I enjoy having theological debate and conversation. I really like that. It's, it's energizing to me. I, it, I just, I like it. It stirs me up. Not arguments, but just debate. I like it. But I also know this. As much as we spend time thinking about okay, God, you're this, and then you're this, but you're not this over here, and then you're this. As much as we do that, we're all going to get to heaven, and I believe this is the first thing that's going to come out of our mouth. I was so wrong. (laughs) Right? How about we all hold our theology really, really loose? Except for this one, that he is absolutely perfect. He is absolutely perfect. (laughs) Let's hold on to that one. He's absolutely perfect. Psalm, Psalm 78, 41, he talks about this, that it says, you don't have to, ref- to turn there, but he refers to it, and he says that they limited, people of Israel, he's talking about the people of Israel, and they limited the Holy One. What? You can limit God? That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, that's you can, it says they limited the Holy One. How do you limit God? How do you limit somebody who's omnipresent, who's the all-powerful, greater than the wonderful Oz, how do you limit somebody like that? Well, to me, I, you know, in looking at the comprehensiveness of Scripture, what I see is God chose to make humanity so intrinsically part of himself that that's how the glory of God gets manifest in the earth. That he actually put us in there knowing that we can limit what he does. Okay, you ready to be offended here a little bit? 
God is not in control. He's not in control. He has all authority. He's not in control. He can't make you believe in him. He set it up that way. I don't get it. He set it up that way. He doesn't make you believe in him. He just reveals himself. Hello? Somebody got really mad at me that one time for saying that. I know that he's not in control because he gave me Holy Spirit. What's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Oh, okay, so that is part of what he does. He brings Holy Spirit saying, yeah, listen to me. And it's not like he, he doesn't take control. I don't know, I really have a hard time with songs that do that. Holy Spirit, just take control. I'm like, oh no, he's not gonna do that. You know why that it bothers me so much? It's not about the theology, it's about the passivity. When we say things like, Holy Spirit, take control, what we do is we slip into a place of passivity and have this expectation that he's gonna do something. Hello? When really, he's given us Holy Spirit. He's given us Holy Spirit without measure. He doesn't take Holy Spirit from us. So, Holy Spirit take control doesn't make a lot of sense. Holy Spirit, if I'm really living by Holy Spirit and wanting more Holy Spirit inside of me, then he gives me self-control to be able to say, I know what you're doing, God. Here's what you're saying right now, and this is what I'm going to do. I want to be obedient to it. In other words, obedience even is not something that you can conjure up yourself. I was sitting in prayer this morning. The fear of the Lord does not come from human design. It's not, or, it's not originated in, the, in our humanity, the fear of the Lord. It's not. You can't, you can't muster it up. You can't say, ooh, I need to have a fear of the Lord, so I'm going to start fearing the Lord. <laughs> you might get a hernia, but the fear of the Lord doesn't come that way. Come on, is this good? The only thing that pleases God is what he does himself. So he gives grace. It even says he gives you faith. Romans 12 says that. As to each one, he has dealt a measure of faith. So where did faith originate from? Him. Where did grace originate from? Him. Where did love originate from? Him. I don't have the ability to do these things. Come on, hello. On my best day, on my best day, I might be able to scratch the surface a little bit. But even that I'm questioning. I think I'm, pro- I think I'm scratching the surface, but I'm really like layers outside of this thing. I'm probably scratching the wrong surface even. <laughs> it's just, it's not, there's, there's no way to access it. It's, it all comes through him, this kind of grace. So these grace stations. So this is one right here, according to the grace given to me. You're... Source one. Let me just jump to this. Source one. Number one. Here's grace station number one. You ready? It's your personal connection with Jesus. It's your personal connection with Jesus. And you have one. You have one. It's the person of Holy Spirit. Everybody say this. I am am connected connected to Jesus. Jesus. Okay, your own personal connection is where you get your first stop for grace. Right here. First stop. Again, we've turned this thing into a menu. Not only do we try to pick and choose what we like out of it, never do that, by the way. There are still passages in there that weird me out. Seriously. There are things in there I don't understand. And even some of it looks like it comes against what I believe about who he is. I can throw that away and say I'm not going to refer to it, but then what I've done is I've thrown away a gem. 
And you know how it is. You don't find gems until you mine a little bit. And when you start mining it, then you start finding the treasure that's inside of it. So we can't treat this like a menu. But at the same time, listen to me, church, if I can get your attention a minute. Don't reduce your life in Jesus down to a devotional, a cup of coffee, and your little notebook. Hello? That is, that is minimal. If you don't know what to do, start there. But that is not the sum total of your time with God. If your time with God is reduced, you know how it is, right? We don't say this, but this is what we do in church. Somebody we know that spends five hours praying, you're like, God, they're spiritual. Man, I can hardly do 20 minutes. I can't even stand it. I get my Bible and I start to read, and all of a sudden my phone rings. I'm starting to think about all these things that I gotta do today, right? And I'm so not spiritual. I just need to spend more time with God. I need to spend more time with God. Shut up! That's the problem right there. Need to spend more time with God. Does he never leave you? Okay, so at what point are you not having time with him? If I reduce my relationship down to this, oh, this quiet time, and oh, and by the way, my times with God are nothing but, or anything but quiet. They're fun. Sometimes I'm angry. I've yelled at him before, right? He, he knows what's going on inside of me. I'm not afraid of offending him. I'm not gonna offend God. We've got to understand this, this thing of this connection with him is never, ever ending. I mowed the lawn yesterday. Jesus. I'm serious. I'm not joking. I'm not making it up. I take off. I start the mower up, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, how long is it going to take me to do this? I had a new attachment on the mower. I was thinking about mowing it a little bit different. And all of a sudden, there it is. I'm not even asking for it. It's like, yeah, Holy Spirit, there you are. Trust me, he wants to be with you more than you want to be with him. So the first place, the first grace station you stop is knowing that you are completely connected to him. Completely connected to him. Hmm. We just got to slow down long enough to hear him. Just slow down. A lot of my time with the Lord when I'm just really trying to recenter and refocus is not about making a list and trying to pray through it. It's sitting in this red chair that I have and just sitting there closing my eyes, holding my hands out and just saying, mind, stop spinning. And I let my feeler go where I just start to experience. Some people experience the Lord a little different. I, I experience him physically. That's primarily how I feel him when he's starting to talk to me is I'll feel him physically first start to speak to me. Other people, it may be different. Whatever you do, don't make a formula out of it. It makes me crazy. Seminars on how to hear God. Well, that's how you hear God. Okay, I'm going to get in trouble again. <laughs> don't make the mistake of wanting to hear his voice either just so you can operate in the miraculous. Don't, don't make that mistake. God is so good and so kind that he operates in the miraculous even when we're not even paying attention. He does. That's how much he loves the world and the people around you. When we want to hear God's voice just so we can operate in the miraculous, everything's all about us. It's all about me. God, for your kingdom, let me operate in this miracle-working healing power. I, I don't know. My approach is a little different. I'm just like, the word says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, make disciples. So everywhere I go, I just say, be healed. If somebody's sick. 
I don't know. If he tells me to do it, he's not going to not give me the grace to do it. Hello? Amen? Amen. Source number two. You're in Ephesians, right? Look over to Ephesians chapter four. Is everybody in the room still with me? I'm still doing good here. I got plenty of time. Ephesians chapter four, verse seven through 11. Now these are the ascension gifts, or these are the um, fivefold ministry gifts that are given out here. I'm not gonna go into a teaching on these, but you've heard them before. It says this, but to each one of us, grace was given. Say grace was given. According to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, this grace that is given to you, who does it come from? Why? It's because he is everything. He has everything. It's all there. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Now look down at verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Come on, isn't that beautiful? Grace comes directly from the Lord with fellowship him, but it also comes from station number two here. Here's gas station, grace station number two. It comes through those who have been given as a gift. These things are not gifts that are given to special individuals. The person is the gift themselves. I can't separate myself from being a pastor. This is what I do. You put me in Home Depot and give me a job there, I'm going to pastor. It's who I am. It's, it's who I am. Try to tell an evangelist that they can't do anything outside the church. <laughs> Try to tell an evangelist this is a non-evangelizing zone. Right? Try to tell an apostle that. Try to tell an apostle that you can't change culture here. They can't help it. Even if they try to not do it, they're going to change culture. It's who they are. It's the gift that they've been given. So if you want to find that kind of grace, get around those kinds of people. Hello? So you have your time with God, but God set it up in such a way that not only is he never separated from you, but you also need everybody else around you. Oh, oh, oh. This is getting difficult. This is difficult. For some of us, it's easy. I'm like one of those type A. I'm, you know, I'm an extrovert. I think about it. Yesterday, I walked by my house and I looked at the pool and I was like, yeah, we got that clean, I got it. And all I'm thinking about is, man, we need to have like 500 people over here. <laughs> this is what I love. You know, I, I like being in the pool. I enjoy that, but I enjoy it so much more when it's just filled with all kinds of people. I'm like that. I'm kind of that extrovert kind of person. I get amped. I get jazzed from being around people. My wife, not so much. She's a little bit different. She's like, I need a little me time. She knows where her boundaries are with that. And I know where mine are too with that. So in other words, if you want to receive that kind of grace, you sit under it. On Friday, I got to sit with a prophet. I received an all, a whole different kind of grace coming off of him. Right? If you, if you need that, sit under those people who are carrying that. That's one of your stations right there. What's really interesting is when you get around, have you ever been around somebody who's a bona fide evangelist? You start evangelizing. You know why? Because it's, it's coming off on off of them. It's getting all over you. You ever get around someone who's apostolic in nature and all of a sudden you start getting visions for new things that you want to do? Yeah, that's what happens. You get, start getting around a pastor and now you start wanting to take care of people. Why? Why is it? It's, it's a... It's a grace that's on them in order to do it. So that's source number two. Is that helpful to you? Yeah. Source number three, grace station number three, Ephesians 4, 29. And this one's probably the most important and the most overlooked. Ephesians 4, verse 29 says this. Let no 
corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary, everybody say necessary. Necessary Necessary edification. It's not edification if you feel like it. It's necessary. It's not edification if it just hits you in the moment. I want to edify this person. It's necessary edification. One of the things I started doing recently, just because I'm pondering this stuff, I have a lot of friends on Facebook. Some of them I know way better than others. Other ones I can't hardly remember who they are. You know, friends that aren't really friends. But nonetheless, I have decided I am not going to let a day go by that I don't get on Facebook. And, and I it never, it, if I have less than three people who have birthdays on any given day of the week on my friends thing, it's, a, it's miraculous. I've decided that I'm just going to every day get on there and wish happy birthday, even prophesy through the happy birthday thing to them. Why? Because it's necessary. How much I know them doesn't matter. I can prophesy across that Facebook platform. I can encourage them. So if you have a birthday and you're friends with me on Facebook, count on it. You're going to see it. Something's going to happen. Sometimes it's just very simple and it's small, but I'm taking this and I'm going, wait, if I've been given this grace that's inside of me, then I know other people get it, but I also know other people need to get it from me as well because it's what I've been given. It's what I carry, and all of us carry that. doesn't make me that much special. It's not that. It's that I carry this grace. So, let no corrupt, the word corrupt there means worn out. <laughs> worn out. What's worn out? I think what's worn out is religious sayings. Like, I'll be praying for you, brother. Okay, that's worn out. I'll be praying for you, brother. How about you stop what you're doing and pray for me right now? Hello? That's corrupt that's worn out oh yeah don't get me started the next time somebody does that to you on your facebook platform be praying for so and so i see so many comments i'll be praying i'll be praying you're at the top of the list you're you know all this stuff i keep saying i'm like somebody pray (laughs) write it out and pray right there just do it come on release life in your fingers right there you can release life to this person right there it's necessary Let no worn out word or worthless or rotten word proceed out of your mouth. Wow. I think there'd be a lot less words going around if we really caught this. But what is good for necessary edification that it may what? Impart grace to the hearers. Come on, is that good? There's a grace station right there. There's a station on grace right there. Get around people who are encouraging. I like being around people who are encouraging. They're good. I got a friend in this church. Nearly every Sunday or Monday, I get a text from that individual, and they're just encouraging me. Man, bro, that was so great, son. That was good. This is what I loved about that. Bam. They shoot me that text. I look forward to that. Because if you do this long enough, you start to discover Saturday you're really, really focused. Sunday, you're full of power and you're full of faith. Monday, you're really depressed. It's just what happens. So this person, whenever they text me, I read that thing and I look at it and go, there's grace on that right there. There's grace on that right there. Here's the other side of this. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for necessary edification, so that it may impart grace to the hearer. Listen, church, 
Don't let your own mouth open up and say negative things. Because they're coming out of your mouth and going right back in your own ear again. So this imparting grace to the hearer, I can impart grace to myself by not letting unwholesome words come out of my mouth, but only things that are encouraging. I'm favored by God. Right? Everybody say that with me. I'm favored by God. I am the righteousness of Christ. I'm the head, not the tail. <laughs> I have the creator of the universe living inside of me. The kingdom is about to explode out of me. Come on, doesn't that feel good? It feels good for a reason. It's not just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, young man. It's spiritual. It's greater than that. You're speaking these words. They're coming out of your mouth. They're going right back into your ear, and grace is coming to it. Grace is coming to you so that it may impart grace to the hearer. Turn to one last per- passage here, Romans chapter 5. <laughs> encouragement is so good. Guys, I'm serious. We really need more encouragement. We need people, myself included, who think first and foremost, not about engaging in conversation, just talk about stuff, but how can I encourage this person? How can I encourage them? I'm starting to paint mental pictures in my mind of what it looks like. So if I come up to Bobby and I encourage him with something, here's what I'm seeing. I'm painting a giant bullseye on you and I'm saying, God, get him! Get him! Pour out grace on him. Pour out grace on him. You're the fullness of grace and truth, so I come and I encourage you and I say something simple like, man, that's a cool blue shirt you're wearing right there. You got big arms, man. You're like, like that's like the size of one of my legs. That's, you got big arms. Man, I wish I had big arms like that. I like your hair, too, and your beard. It looks good on you, doesn't it? Doesn't that beard look good on him? I'm thinking about doing that again, growing a beard. Okay, another story. Let's don't get derailed. Listen, I don't have to give some deep, profound, prophetic word in order to encourage somebody. I tell people, when I encounter certain people, there's, there's, there's one person in particular I'm thinking of. They don't come here that often, but when they do, every time I see them, I'm like, you make my heart happy. I tell them that every time. Every time I see them, you make my heart happy. You don't even have to say anything. You just make my heart happy. People have that kind of effect, right? When you, when you see them, it's, 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 not, it's not fake. It's not, I'm not making it up. It just, it, it truly happens. So, you know, when I'm encountering people, I'm looking and going, you're solid. You're a solid bro, Jay. You are. You totally can count on Jay. Amen. I can totally can count on Jay. If I say something to Jay, he will remember it. He remembers it. He knows exactly. He can remember it, and he will follow up. He'll do whatever to hold on to that. That's what Jay is. That's what he does. That's a God gift in your life. You're solid like that. What am I doing right now? I'm drawing a target on you. Saying, God, get him. Get him, God. Get him. Get him. Trisha, you are incredibly organized. That's a God gift. You have the ability to pull a bunch of stuff together and keep it all in a place where you know where it is, you know what's going on, and you're able to manage that and hold it together well. You really support people really, really, really well. That's what you do. What am I doing? Is that a prophetic word? 
Well, it is in some sense because prophetic covers everything, but I'm, courage, I'm encouraging her. What if we were to do that? What if we were to do that everywhere we went where we just looked at people and said, you know what? Here's the deal. If I come to you, Mindy, and I encourage you, and I'm painting a target on you, and I'm saying God gets you, I know that ultimately I'm going to reap some benefit from that. Not for selfish gain. I just know that this is how the economy of heaven works. Boy, I tell you, it would change our mind a lot about what we think when we first see people. Right? Oh, there they come again. No, wait, stop. 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 What can I encourage them with? What can I say to encourage this person right here? I told you to turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Let's read it. For if by one man's offense, death, this we're talking about Adam and Jesus now. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of what? Grace. Grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Those who receive the abundance of grace. Come on, don't you, don't you love that? He didn't say the abundance of salvation. He says the abundance of grace. There's another grace station right there. Say, Lord, I receive. I receive. There's a grace station. Fill up right there. Take some time filling up on that one. But much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will what? Reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Reigning in life can't be bad. Anybody want to reign? Yeah, I do too. I want to reign. I want to reign. I don't want to walk around like a pauper. I don't want to walk around with poverty mentality that says there's never enough. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? I, I'm guilty of doing this too. It is so easy when things hit, especially for me when things hit financially. Bam, $700. Didn't expect that one. That can really take me down. I'm being honest with you here. It can really take me down financially. Things hit like that. But I, over time, am learning that I am not going to live like a pauper. I am not going to live like a pauper. I'm not going to live in a poverty mentality that says, Gah! Man, can't get ahead. It's every time you think one little thing, I'm not going to live like that. I'm learning to be able to say when those things happen, and something like that just recently happened. I got a $350, $400 hit just recently on something. I'm learning to say, God, what are you going to do about that? Man, that's, that ain't cool. Somebody's taking your money. Right? And that's a whole other story right there. When you can start looking at it like his money. <laughs> God, somebody's taking your money. Yeah, it's all right. I got a bunch more. Here, take this. And he shows up. Man, he did. He did. Somebody last week came, took care of it. Didn't even know about it. Why? Because when we look at it like that, and we're saying, let no unwholesome word proceed out of our mouth, but only that which is necessary for, for necessary edification. I'm going to start looking at it and saying, God, you've got everything that I need and I know it's going to come to me. I'm not going to get bent out of shape about these things right here. I'm going to stop at that gray station. <laughs> Hello? You're going to stop at that gray station and say, fill me up. Fill me up. Everybody stand up here. That was a lot right there. And if you can put that together and make sense of it, God bless you. Oh, yeah. So I'm just going to pray for you. But Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.